Ladies and gents, welcome back to uh, another Engineers podcast. Uh, today, I've got Kevin Goldsmith, who's got a pretty incredible technology background, and he's going to do the honours of talking about himself uh, in the next couple of moments. Uh, he's currently at DistroKid, where we're going to be talking about DistroKid today, um, some technology challenges more about the business we're going to be talking about some technology challenges that the business made a number of years back and some pretty outdated tech and actually how they've moved through the gears and how you can be really pragmatic and a number of things in there but Kevin talk to us a little bit about your background introduce yourself and introduce DistroKid and who you are Absolutely uh, delighted uh, to be on the Engineers Podcast. Uh, my, I've been working for a while, uh, over thirty years now. So I'm not going to do the full, uh, the Don't full do that. history. So, uh, some highlights started uh, IBM uh, Silicon Graphics back in the in the way back. Spent a lot of my career at Microsoft. So I was in Microsoft Research. Microsoft Windows team, uh, Windows Media, uh, more importantly. Uh, then I was at uh, Adobe uh, for a number of years. So I worked in um, commercial photography, digital imaging uh, there, worked on a bunch of versions of Creative Suite. Uh, I went from there to Spotify, also kind of relevant yeah. for what I do today. Uh, so I was at Spotify for a number of years in Sweden. Uh, as Spotify grew, so I got to see, you know, uh, Spotify grow not in users, not only in users, but obviously the, the company grew and got to do that whole squads, squads, tribes model, uh, guilds thing uh, yep. from from nearly the beginning. So I got to do that for a while. Since uh, being in Spotify, I've been a CTO and a CTO primarily in kind of mid-stage uh, growth startups, uh, legal tech, fintech. Edutech, uh, and most recently, I'm back in music and working at DistroKid. DistroKid is a company that helps artists put their music into all the internet stores and all the internet streaming. We distribute somewhere between 40 and 60% of all the music that's on Spotify or Apple Music because they don't want to talk to the musicians directly. It's just a lot of stuff for them to deal with. They rely on us. Yeah to work with musicians. And so we get your music into the stores, we collect the royalties and pay them to you, is is our main business. Love it, okay. Talk to us about what it's been like becoming a CTO. I know that's a feature on your LinkedIn, you did a talk about that, but it'd be good to hear from you what it's like to become a CTO. The there's a lot so yeah there's a, a blog post i wrote about this and and i think the interesting thing is if you talk to five different ctos um uh even you know ctos at companies my size ctos at companies bigger ctos at companies smaller we all had very different paths right there is no one path uh yeah. for me uh because you know i've been in the industry i probably took uh, a, a pretty, uh, I took a much longer path. I was in bigger companies for a long time before I, I started moving to smaller and smaller companies. And so for me, like I spent a lot of years as a manager and then senior manager and then director and then VP before I became a CTO. Other people join a startup 
end up as CTO two years later, right? So, so for me, it was very much a, I'm a developer. I want to be a really good developer. Being a developer is all I care about. And then somewhere in there, like I got made a manager, even though I wasn't ready. And then I said, no, this is, this is horrible. I want to be a developer again. <laughs> and then sort of over time realizing, you know what, actually the problems I'm interested in are actually more the people problems and the management problems and how do we do the work well, not just the technology problems. And then very very deliberately deciding, you know what, I think I want to be a manager now and then deciding, okay, I want to be a good manager and yeah. kind of growing in the role. So for me, it was very much a, a sort of deliberate choice. I want to move into management. I was at a big company. I took advantage of the resources the company had around training. Yeah. I spent many years managing kind of a team this, you know, team of eight, team of 14, team of 20, team of 40, then team of 80, team of 150, team of 175, before I then kind of became a CTO. Somebody else might, like I said, somebody else might uh, either help found a, a, a company and just grow with a company or be an early developer and just have the natural kind of skill set and drive and just become a CTO just kind of naturally through that. We all have our own paths. Um, mine was maybe a little bit more circuitous than, uh, than others might have had. What does a CTO do? And that varies person to person as well yeah. as CTO to CTO, Oh, absolutely. Right? Oh, absolutely. So that's another important thing. You can talk to five different CTOs and tell them to tell you what the job of the CTO is. And there'll be a lot of overlap, one would hope. But it is very different in different roles and, and in different size companies. So for me, I tend to be uh, at a company that's usually like a Series C, Series D size company, a few hundred people working there. That's kind of where I, that's kind of my kind of skill set or where yeah. I've developed to. So for me, uh, a, a lot of my time is really spent on strategy, technical strategy, corporate strategy. I'm spending a lot of my time working with uh, if I'm in a B2B company, the sales team, um, working with marketing, working obviously with the product team, uh, talking to customers, uh, as well as kind of looking at our architecture, looking at how our teams are working and kind of doing that actual leadership of the tech team. That's maybe about half of my job is really kind of focusing down in the org. The other half is kind of supporting the company because I'm a C-level person. In smaller companies, um, you know, so dis district is a, a, a bit smaller than that. For a district kid, I'm a little bit more focused um, t down, but partially it's because we're really a B2C company. So, you know, we have millions of customers. I'm not doing sales calls with them. We don't have a sales team, but I am meeting with marketing, product, legal, yeah you know, all that stuff. But I spend a lot more of my time kind of looking at how we grow the platform. Are we doing the right things around that? I'm pr I'm prototyping uh, some ways I want us to kind of think about differently the way we approach stuff. So I'm actually building a few things. Yeah. Um, in a bigger company, I probably wouldn't have that kind of time. I haven't had that kind of time in a, a, a district yet, I do. So, you know, in a much smaller company for a while as a CTO in an earlier stage company, yeah, I was the, the dev lead. I was also the this uh, uh, DevOps team by myself because we needed it and I could do it. So it yeah. really varies on the size of the company.
Yeah. Size of company. I think you touch on something quite interesting, B2B versus B2C. Oh yeah. That might that might change the role slightly. Um, but I appreciate it can vary. It can vary, but I think it's quite a common topic at the moment. You know, what what does a CTO do? And I think you touched on a lot of things or everything that I would naturally <laughs> think about. Um, and more, by the way, you're the CTO, I'm not. Um, you touched on a lot more than I would imagine. Um, okay, give us an intro into DistroKid. A lot of people wouldn't have necessarily heard of DistroKid, but... Yeah millions of customers massively influential in the music space talk to us about distrokid so yeah it's it's a kind of company where if you're in music you know it and if you're you know if unless you're a musician or somebody in the industry yeah you you probably haven't necessarily heard of it um unless you saw like an artist wearing a distrokid t-shirt or a sticker yeah. on a guitar case or something like that um so for us uh you know it's an we're an interesting company in that uh our founder uh uh he uh he he was uh he's a a, a multiple uh Philip Kaplan he's a multiple time entrepreneur he's also very technical so he built the platform. He was, he had sold his last company. He's also a musician. He wanted to distribute some music he'd made. He tried some of our competitors, was really unsatisfied with the experience and said, well, I could do this better for me. Started to build something and it, it turned into to DistroKid. And so we're interesting in that like a lot of startups, we have a code base that's been around for a while um unlike a lot of startups we have a code base that is generally you know a large part is written by a single developer and then mm -hmm. only in the last few years have we started growing the team and growing the team quite much larger and so we're evolving a lot of the platform um but a lot of it you know it's a kind of thing of the th one of the things i really appreciate about the company is there's a real real spirit of pragmatism Mm -hmm. um are you know there's a thing in software yagni um you aren't going to need it don't build things that you don't need it's a very lean idea it's a, it's a very pragmatic idea we very much live by that so it is a very kind of oh you know you build what you need and when it doesn't work anymore you replace it with something new so it, there is a, a kind of idea of re constant refactoring um but there's also idea of like let's not build something we're gonna need five years from now Let's build something, you know, we need today. And so that makes things easier. It also makes things harder. Yeah. Um, we tend to be able to produce stuff actually really quickly. We can come up with an idea for a new feature and deploy it, you know, in, in a weekend or in a, in a few days, right? Wow. Which is really great. Like, I haven't been at a company who could do that since Spotify. Yeah. Um, and we'll try it. We'll try it in the market. We'll see if artists like it. We'll see if, if, if it gets traction. If it does, then we invest more into it and build it um, to be more robust and build it to scale a little bit better. But we'll only ever take it to the point we need it to up to the point. And then we pay attention. And if it starts to not be you know working as well anymore, we fix it. So it's a kind of a very different mindset from a lot of scaling companies I've been at where you know, you're really trying to build, you know, you're trying to build way ahead and you're also paying down a lot of tech debt. We do that a lot, but we do it in a very pragmatic way, which is honestly, 
it kind of it's very refreshing um, to to be in a company that really embraces that approach because a, a lot of companies really aren't thinking that way. Yeah, uh, you touched on something that we spoke about offline, and we're going to touch on it today: yeah. approach and being culture first where a lot of companies say they aren't but we'll touch on that a little bit further down the line mm. i think it'd be really interesting to touch on some of the interesting technology choices that you've inherited and um i guess the mindset towards using those technologies and almost a current mindset to today's developer and how they're thinking about using some of the languages and platforms that yeah so widely spoken about so two parts in there what have you inherited and what do you see the mindset of engineers being like today you know uh one of the one of the early decisions that was made at the company was to embrace a, a language called lucy lucy is an open source implementation of cold fusion of adobe cold fusion and from a sort of page templating language, like it's a, which Cold Fusion is, you know, it's not that different from Ruby or something yeah. else. It runs on the JVM, um, but it's, let's call it um, esoteric. Not a lot of people in the world using it, right? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a blessing and a curse a little bit. The blessing is, the, a lot of the developers, a lot of senior developers we have are experts in this language because that's one of the reasons they came to work at DistroKid is because they like this language. And we have the core contributors uh, to the Lucy project as well at the company. So, okay. you know, so wow. we are experts in this language. The difficulty is not only people know this language and not all people are that interested in this language or are kind of choosing it, right? It's, it's not a growing language. Um, mm -hmm. So on one hand, um, you know, a lot of our code is written in this language. It works fine. It is the, the platform itself is continuing to be improved over time. On the bad part is, you know, it's harder to attract developers to this because they don't know it. One of the yeah. things that we found um, is, Ben, that we this is what we were talking about before the podcast is, uh, for developers, there what we hear sometimes is they'll say, "Well, I only want to work on, you know, I yeah. want I only, I'm worried that if I work on this language, that it's going to be bad on my resume, right? And or I only want to work on uh, Rust, or I only want to work on this. And they're they're not current Rust developers. Like I can understand if you spent the last few years working in Rust, you want to keep working in Rust or whatever mm -hmm. C or or whatever. But that's, you know, me personally as a developer, as many years as a developer, I wrote professionally in C, Lisp, uh, uh, Prolog, um, I, uh, Java, Scheme, um, C Sharp, obviously I was at Microsoft a long time, C Sharp, Visual Basic, JavaScript, uh, pr probably easily 15 different languages, Python. Uh, yeah. So I've and like go and stuff. So I learned, you know, I came out of school being a C developer, right? C++ developer. Over the years, I learned a lot of other languages and learned them well enough to be a professional developer in them. So when I look at some that kind of thing, it's it sort of doesn't make sense to me because I know 
you know, there's a set of languages that we all use today. In five years, 10 years, we'll probably be using different languages. It's unlikely that the languages that professional developers use today are going to be the languages that professional developers use 10 years from now. And the mistakes I've seen, you know, my f folks of my era have made who stayed as developers is they never bothered to learn the new stuff. They became experts in whatever they were experts in and never wanted to switch out of that language and then kind of got sidelined as the rest yeah. of the industry sort of moved on. So that's when we were talking about sort of the things I yeah. look for in developers is you might be a, a JavaScript developer or a Ruby developer or a Python developer today. That's awesome. Those skills are valuable. If you're like, if you look at something like this and you're like, I don't know that thing, I don't want to, I'm not interested. That tells me that you're not really open to learning and open to trying new things or, or building your skill sets in, in different areas. Yeah. So that to me is, is, is a little bit of a, I, I sort of understand on one level, but on the other level, I, I think it, you, it, it benefited me to learn and program in different languages. Um, I want, I would love to see sort of, and the people we hire generally are excited to, you know, or at least like, okay, that's another language. I'll learn that language. Just like I learned yeah. this other you language. Have to, right? You have to, I think in today's market, it does move so quick. People are building yeah. companies, services, platforms with all sorts of different languages and technologies. I think it's more down to solving the problems. How do you solve yeah. the problem as opposed to what language? You know, I've said this so many times on the podcast. You know, I believe that I speak to so many people about this kind of thing. And um, sometimes it does split opinion on, no, we need someone in this stack to oh, yeah. the service. And this is why we need it. Whereas you can just have a very polyglot approach and we can get someone running a system design. Let's see how they solve problems as opposed to how great are they uh, JavaScript fundamentals or whatever yeah. it might be. I mean, I very much understand like there's areas where I would want to find a, a, a sort of deep level of language expertise, right? Yeah. Where, one of the things I worked on, uh, my team worked on at Adobe, like we were building a compiler, right? We had a yep. domain specific language uh, and it was running on GPUs and stuff like that. I had to hire people with deep experience in this stuff because we were doing very advanced things and yep. learning from scratch was just not going to be realistic. If yep. I'm building a web service, if I'm building, yep. you know, the kind of stuff that is 90% of what the industry does. I'm building a web service. I'm building a web, you know, a, a website. I'm building an app. Yeah. Um, for that kind of stuff, yeah. Like, oh, do you know, do you know some JavaScript? Great. Um, do you know Ruby? Well, we don't use Ruby. We use Python. But you know what? You'll figure it out. Yeah. I like that because um, not any, you know, if if you have folks who are experts in one language, you encounter problems that aren't easily solved in that language. Yeah. And people who are dedicated, I only do this, they'll try and figure out how to solve this problem in this language. When in, in yeah. the answer is, if you're doing data science, you probably want to use Python. You probably yeah. don't want to use, you know, uh, C. It's just not a good use of your time to figure yeah. out how to make this work in C unless you have very specific issues you're trying to solve. And, and so that's why I like, so I like hiring people who have 
a little bit breadth of experience because they'll say, oh, you know what? Honestly, we should probably do it this way because it's just a, this is what this is for. Let's use yep. that rather than try and figure out how to take this hammer we have and and, and use it to fix this radiology machine. Yeah, yeah. Segwaying slightly, you mentioned, and it is part of the role of a CTO, is yeah. you come in, you look at team strategy, you'll look at culture, which we'll talk about. But you spoke to me about how you changed how developers work and you changed yeah. how teams work. Can we explore that a bit more? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things that we talked about CTOs and, and becoming a CTO and, and growing CTOs because of the nature of the companies I tend to work in, um, I tend to be taking over oftentimes for maybe the founding CTO who got the company to a certain point and then is maybe having a tougher time yeah. if they, because they aren't an experienced manager, kind of yeah. getting the company to the next stage. And usually that comes down to a cultural problem and the way the work is organized problem. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, there's, any company has got the set of things that has made that company successful. Yeah. Um, there's something about the way that company works that's different from other companies and it's made made the company successful. You have to understand that part of the culture. What is the good parts of the culture, the parts that have made that get everybody working together? Are we a company that collaborates? Are we a company that values kind of this or values that? Understanding that is important and accentuating yeah. that. But usually companies are also have usually if you're hiring somebody like me you've also kind of hit a point where stuff isn't working quite as well as it used to yeah. and there's lots of reasons why that can happen sometimes you have maybe had bad elements kind of <laughs> through your hiring kind of entered into your culture yeah. or you you have more people than you're used to and you haven't figured out how to make them how they should work right and so they're kind of working across purposes or you've got too much process, or you have no process, or those kinds of things. So a lot of what I do um, is really kind of understanding what is that's awesome about the company, what's gotten the company to this point, what's holding the company, or sort of specifically like engineering and technology, what's holding the company back, and then trying to kind of bring the company, bring that technology team forward in a way that's aligned to the the true sort of positive culture of the company. At a company like DistroKid, um, where we've had a little bit of a Cambrian explosion in developers, just uh, the team grew uh, quite yep. large over the last couple of years, where it was a very small team and a very small team, communication's high, everybody's, everybody can talk to everybody. So you don't need a lot of coordination. People are doing, people are finding the right thing to do and generally doing yep. it, maybe with a little bit of communication to each other. The minute you now are big enough to have teams, you have to figure out, okay, well, how do we make sure that the team is working on the right thing, that the people within the team have good communication, yeah. that teams aren't bumping into teams, other teams are getting uh, getting dependent on them, and, and we build like slowness into the system because there's all this coordination that happens in the work. So that's been a lot of what I've been doing at DistroKid. I think with the advent really over the last few years, even pre-COVID, where we were having more and more remote teams, yeah. Another kind of thing I've seen, and this is one of the things I changed at DistroKid, is you'll have developers all over the world, and even if you have a really, really good async culture, people still need to like communicate in real time from time to time. 
And one of the things I see a lot is like, oh, well, you know, this team has got like one person in the U.S. West Coast, one person US East Coast, somebody in Germany, somebody in Israel, and somebody in Australia. And there is literally no time of the day when all of them would normally be online at the same time. Right. Yep. So the overlap times are, you know, maybe, an, you know, they schedule an hour when they can all talk. But a lot of people end up waiting on each other and then teams are waiting on other teams. And so uh, some of what I've been doing specifically at District Day, we kind of had this problem where teams were spread across globally because we do have folks across the globe. Um, was like, OK, maybe we it, you, we try and put your team geographically time zonally co-located so that you can have you know, if you need to talk, you can talk, you know, many hours a day. That alone um, changed, you know, was a was a big step. But it was also like, how do we organize the work? How do teams pick up work? Um, we spent a lot of time on that. That's interesting that I've spoken to so many businesses over the last few years, and that hasn't been something that's come up. Maybe it was just such an obvious point that... Yeah. Uh, that I didn't actually pick up on it because of change of team structure, but that was the smart play when you're obviously describing that. And I hadn't seen yeah. that before, which I think is really interesting. I think it, I, I agree. Like I would assume people do it because it is obvious. However, it's not just it's good is, is um, the prior company I was in and it's other companies I talk to where if you're hiring like a developer, a developer and you're a fully distributed team, you don't really think about, Oh, okay. Well, the team is mostly here, but Oh, there's this really great person over here. We, yeah, let's hire them and we'll figure out kind of how to make it work. Companies like, uh, you know, automatic that have this like fully, fully distributed from the, the get go and do a tremendous amount async and are really, really good at that. They, they, they still meet in person. I've met in person, you know, over video in person with automatic people. So I know that they do at least kind of think about it, but they don't really talk about it. So I, I don't know how much they do that, but it is something that it just changes the game when you're not, if you want to do a standup and you don't want to do your standups async, and there is a value to doing them in person, that conversation's valuable. If you're like some people are getting up early and some people are, you know, having to delay dinner so that they can do that, it just takes something out of your day. It just makes your day a little bit worse. And like, why should your job make your day worse? Yeah, right? that's true. That's spot on. So we've spoken a little bit about dev team and team structure yeah. or dev work and dev, uh, dev team structure. Talk to us about like many others, you know, people growth and mm. some of the challenges that you've seen as a CTO, probably one of your most important jobs. Absolutely. People. Every company, if not you know, the most. Yeah. Well, every person joins a company for a reason, right? Obviously pay. Yeah. Like I need to, pay my rent, I need to put food on my table, but why choose one company over another, right? Every you want, it is, what am I going to learn? Or what am I, is the company doing something I'm particularly excited about? And I think smart people look at an opportunity to say, what am I going to learn at this place? How am I going to be better for having been there? 
uh, a question I will sometimes ask candidates is, what is the job that this job is going to set you up for? Like, what's your next job going to be? What do you, what are you expecting your next job to be? And really that's a question of what hmm. are you hoping to learn here that is, you know, going to be lead to the, the job that you are trying to get to someday. Nobody joins a company to be, uh, to someday be a middle manager, right? You're, you're on, if you're a manager, you're trying to hopefully be a CTO someday, or if you're a developer, you want to be maybe a, a architect, or you want to be a fellow, or you want to, you know, you want to have more responsibility. And so that tells me for the candidate, are you coming, what are, what are you hoping to learn from us? Mm. Um, but also, are you hoping to learn something from us? Because I think that is part of our responsibility as employer is to help you grow, not only because that makes you happier, you stay at the company longer, if you feel, you know, there's the whole uh, Daniel Pink drive book kind of around motivations, but it'll, it'll keep you at the company longer, it'll make you happier to be at the company, but also you know, it's our responsibility to the industry to make the industry a better place, you know, yeah. for all of us to work in. And so there's lots of ways to do that. And again, it's going to depend on where you are in your career when you join the company, like yeah. where have you come from? Where are you trying to get to? But we try and do that. And I make sure that every people manager that that is part of my team is thinking about, how are, you know, how are we developing folks? What are the new skills they're learning? Do they see that they're growing? Are we giving them um, measurements along the way? It's not just a title change. Do you actually feel like you know more this year mm -hmm. than you did last year, that you're becoming more confident, that you're ready to take okay. on new responsibilities? Okay. Yeah. What, what's been the best answer that you've seen uh, to that question that you ask, by the way, and I, I've absorbed everything that you've just said, and it, that's a really unique perspective, by the way. Again, yeah. I haven't seen, but a really unique perspective. I, I'll, I'll tell you the reason why I asked that question. Um, there was a period, you know, there, there when I was younger, right, and I was a developer. There was a time where I was just taking a job because it sounded cool. Like, sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. Like uh, yeah. that'll be fun. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I've had a bit of a circuitous path is because I, I wasn't really thinking about that. I'm like, this sounds fun, like a fun gig, a fun team, a fun product. I sh I'm going to work on this because it's fun and not what am I going to learn from it or how is this going to help me grow or, or, or anything like that. Mm. And the difference from kind of me kind of working cool places, doing cool stuff, um, stuff I'm proud of, but the difference between me doing that and me kind of growing in my role and growing quickly was me deciding, oh, you know what, this is where I want to get to someday. And then being very careful, I'm going to take this job because I can see that it's going to help. It's going to teach me these things, which I know I need to someday be a CTO. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I asked that question is just to see if that's, if somebody's thinking deliberately about their career, if they're actually on a, if they have a plan for themselves. Um, 
and I've gotten, you know, good, I've gotten some good answers to that. And it's usually either very specific about technology you're working on, you, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. using machine learning for in production for this kind of stuff. And I really want to learn this, or you're doing computer vision works. I, I want to deepen my skills there, or it's been, you know, um, uh, I saw you, I, I saw you give a talk at lead dev, or I saw you give a talk or I read your blog post. And I think you're somebody I can learn from that. That's a little bit of a buttering up answer, but you know, obviously, uh, at least they've, that tells me they've at least researched a little bit, but yeah. um, I haven't, there's nobody that's, you know, given me the perfect answer to that question, but I'd love to hear somebody someday say to me, um, someday I'm going to be a, a CTO and uh, I'm, I think I can learn that from you, or yeah. I think I can learn that here. Right? I think it's that people first that people probably feel as if it's a loaded question. Yeah. And you think, how do I answer this? I need to give a political answer, if you like, as in I yeah. mean political by say the right thing or say what you think is right in that moment, as opposed to how do I actually feel and should I say this? Yeah. Um, I think people, sh- I, I think I'd like to think 50% of people could have that answer themselves. Others might not have thought about it. Uh, it's just about yeah. shielding that. But it's a really, really unique and interesting perspective. Probably one that I'm going to steal from you. <laughs> in all honesty, I, I, Kevin. I want to be clear too, which is if, if you don't have a great answer for that, I, it's not a disqualifying thing. It's just, it's something that, you know, I, I, if you have a good answer for it, for me, it's just a bonus kind of, oh, okay, you're, you're, you're being very thoughtful about, about how you approach your career. Good. Well, one particular engineering challenge that I do want to ask yeah. uh, before we wrap up is uh, I know it is pretty straightforward in regards to how you're building and delivering value. It's at yeah. consumer scale, but you're exceptionally data driven and mm. that's really important for the business. Can you understand, or sorry, can you help us understand what actually falls under that data driven umbrella and why? Sure. Uh, I think, you, you know, I, I think in to, there's not been a time, certainly for the last 10, 10 years or something, where, yeah. you know, a company would, would come out and say, oh, we are not data-driven. Every company thinks they're data-driven. Yeah. Right? Realistically, most com- having worked at a bunch of companies who claim to be data-driven, most aren't, including companies that were data science companies, right? Yeah. Um, and the only reason I know this is because I have been at extremely successful data-driven companies. Spotify is an extremely successful data-driven company. Uh, when I was at Avo, it was a legal tech firm, but it had a strong analytics team that we were very, very data-driven. We knew exactly at any time anything, everything that was going on in the business, and we could make near wow. real-time decisions based on... You, like our customer behavior based on what was going on in the industry. So for that, the way that tends to work is a, a few different things. One, you actually have to have an actual data team, like an analyst or a set of analysts in the company yeah. that can, one, know which data you need to capture and to yeah. help interpret it because we are all bad at that um, generally. Like even those of us who, who've spent time in that in that world, 
aren't necessarily good at you have bias oh well this is probably because of this or this is probably because of that or whatever you you make excuses so one it's actually having the capability within the company and then two it's actually knowing which data to capture and which data to use to measure so telemetry within your app um business metrics how are you capturing um, are you capturing the right ones um, and then setting up uh, dashboards or setting up reports where everyone kind of makes it their business that they can go and look and see what's going on. And then if something looks amiss, follow up or, or yeah. dig into it. And so in a B2B company, which I've been you know in several of, that data is much slower moving generally because your customer, you know, and, and, and the interaction with customers is a little bit different. It's still critical. It's still critical to the company and the company's success, but it works a little bit different in a B2C company, in a B2C web or app yeah. company. Yeah. It's real time, right? I can tell you exactly right now sort of what's happening today versus yesterday on like, which are, are we, uh, are, uh, musicians opening, uploading more songs, are uploading less songs. Um, are they using this feature? Are they using that feature more? How's that against last week? How's that against last year at this time? Um, and if something goes, if something's either going unexpectedly well, like, wow, okay, like there's a bunch more artists mastering their music today. Why is that? My first question is like, hey, marketing, are you doing something like this is cool, but what's going on here? Or if a number is lower, you're like, what happened? Did some yeah. sometimes you even if you have really good alerting and really good monitoring on your systems, sometimes the way you see something's not working is, <clears throat> oh, like usage is dropped through the floor on this. Like what just happened? And oh, you know, we missed an alert and you know, this system is down and that's how you find out about it. But I know that because every day I'm looking at that dashboard to tell yeah. me like what's going on in the app and having that capability is, is, is game changing. Yeah, it really is. I can imagine Spotify. Oh yeah. We're really, really on that. Um, yes. Seemingly you are as well. And I think you're right as in, you know, from a B2C angle, you know, it's probably that little bit easier to really understand what your customers are doing, how they're yeah. doing it, because uh, it not necessarily, it probably feels a little bit more centralized, but you can get that real time understanding in one place from what your customers are doing. It also lets you, you know, the reason why Spotify care, the reason why we care is because it lets you try stuff like, Let's yeah. give, uh, you know, we think people might like this. Why don't we try it with a small percentage of our users, see if they like it. Yeah. And then if they do like it, okay, let's invest more to actually make this work for all of our customers. That lets you try things inexpensively, um, take risks that you wouldn't necessarily take um, because yeah. you know if it's not good, you'll know very quickly. Yeah. No, this is this is really interesting. Um this is also a free space for you lastly to say hey you're hiring some great people i know we've spoken about this in the past so do you want to share with uh the podcast in our subscribership before we wrap up you know just what you're looking for and what locations and for everyone listening you know things will be below for you in the description so you can check out kevin reach out to kevin yeah look at some of his content and obviously apply so uh, we're hiring always. We're not uh, we're not hiring t tons and tons of people. We're pretty careful about who we hire. Um, not in that 
just we just don't let's go hire 50 people this year like we're we're uh we're we're trying to grow in a in a very smart and and sort of thoughtful way so but we do have open roles um generally uh we hire both senior and um kind of newer to career folks uh we are not geographically like we'll hire people wherever um we are primarily us and europe but we do have folks in australia in israel as well um in the uk in canada um yep. so you know we are we do hire globally when we do hire though we generally will kind of put you in a range we're looking for somebody in a range of time zones because we'll be looking for you to join an existing team or we're trying to add a skill that's maybe underrepresented in that time zone so just look and see what we have open um and we do use lucy but we use other things as well um and you don't need to know lucy but need to be open to learning it. We'll be using it for a while. Uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, no, I have, I've been blogging about a lot of this stuff for years and years and years now, over, over 10, 10 years. Uh, I'm not the most prolific writer, but there's, you know, there's some stuff there that, that you might find helpful. And I'm speaking this fall, I'm speaking in, uh, London, uh, in October, I'm speaking in Germany in November, uh, and uh, I think in uh, San Diego in November as well. When are you speaking in London? Uh, I'm speaking at the JAX Architecture Conference. It's uh, beginning of October. It's on my website. Okay, cool. I'll check that out, and I'll see if we can meet for a coffee or a beer. Oh, that'd be great at some point and for everyone listening um if you want to join a pretty awesome business i must say um they're obviously looking for smart people be agnostic in your approach lucy's obviously pretty key and central to the platform what they've built so far a seasoned cto in kevin who um he shared quite a lot today so make sure you do do your research and come in some of those conversations and interviews prepared <laughs> if that's the case or anyone smart should do if um, you're interviewing with me you should i've just given you one of the questions i'm i'm probably going to ask you yeah of course yeah exactly um all the links will be below for people to check that out and kevin just want to say a massive thanks for sharing about journey of what a cto is like how that varies between businesses who distro kid are uh, and some of the people growth, I think, is really important and how you re-strategize and structured that. I think it will be really good food for thought for people, um, but also the pragmatism around technology. I think that's so key in today's day and age. I really, really do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And a big thank you for joining us. And for everyone else, likes, shares, subscribes they will really, really help us. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Elliot. Absolute pleasure. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing, and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. 
Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.